0: This is Agency Side, telling the stories of starting, growing, and selling digital agencies. Sponsored by Natriller.com, the CRM system for SEOs and digital marketers. Now, here's your host, Rob Carey. I'm joined today by James Crawford, the founder of PR Agency One, a Manchester based PR agency. Welcome to Agency Side, James. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for inviting me on the show now p r agency One has been around for ten years. Has it always been a digital p r agency, or did you start out as a traditional offline p r agency so
1: the reason why I set the company up was that I'd been spending a lot of time um with the the s e o community um before that you know I've had websites since nineteen ninety nine or two thousand and something you know when I was running events and you know when Google analytics came on, I've had that since the the very beginning and Whenever I was pring these events, I'd see traffic center websites. And you know, over the years, I was around for the first dot-com boom, I launched com, amongst other things, and saw how that when we were securing press coverage, um, it was dr- driving leads. And over time, you know, the SEO community formed into a multi-billion pound industry, and it's a lot more professional and scientific in its approach. Um, I left at what you might call a traditional PR agency to start a PR agency, because I felt there was a better way. You know, digital PR has um, always been important to me. Uh, earning links um, seemed like a really sort of um, tangible way of quantifying um, quantifying PR when the PR industry was focusing very much on advertising value equivalence as a as a metric so to measure PR, which has now been debunked as being a, the most ridiculous metric possible. But we're not just a digital PR agency. I'd say our point of difference really is that you know, if you're just focusing just on digital PR and earning links, you're kind of missing out. The reputation and brand benefits and our, our point is this, you can do digital PR, you can build a reputation and a brand at the same time and don't, you know, put yourself at the bottom of a value chain just by simply being a provider of links. You know, links were important, we get huge amounts of them, but there's a lot more value to that coverage than just the link itself.
0: And what is your background before then? Have you always worked in PR, or did you uh, work in other industries as well? Or have you always been agency side?
1: Um, I started out my career at Rolls Royce and in Internal Comms, believe it or not. Um, but wanted to get into agency, and I have pretty much been in in a what you might call a classical PR agency for most of my life. I've worked for uh, Havas um, and City Press, but kind of wanted. I've always wanted to do my own thing. Um, and yeah, I'd probably say I was quite a difficult person to manage. I think it might be the entrepreneur in me. I've always wanted to, always probably thought I, I knew better, which is probably quite annoying for most of my managers. And uh, therefore, I was destined to, to run my own business.
0: And you mentioned a few differences before between traditional PR and digital PR. Uh, I guess both are looking for brand exposure ultimately, but is digital more focused on website visits than it is brand recognition? You know, Is there a clear differential?
1: So when we started out, people, we weren't really getting briefs for digital PR. People didn't really know what they were shopping for. You'd get, okay, you'd get the odd SEO who was kind of up to speed on it. But we're probably talking just after the first Penguin update. That's when we launched. So digital PR really wasn't that big a driver, you know. But before the Penguin update, SEOs were going out buying metric tons of links from the subcontinent, right? Digital PR now is a discipline everybody understands what it is. You know, you get tenders through that say we want links and digital PR. And, you know, there's there's lots of digital PR only agencies out there. You know, so, so I see digital PR as being a, about building search engine visibility and driving conversion. You know, that's where the value is. Yes, you need to earn links to do that. But if you're only just a provider of links, you are probably at the bottom of a a value chain. And what we provide is, yes, we can get you industrial quantities of links if you want them. But we can also provide you with a strategic council, the technical SEO support that you need to make sure that your website's going to rank. Because the amount of websites that we get um, or briefs uh, briefs that come through, the the websites are poor. Um, And it's amazing how, you know, there, there is a job to do to understand the whole picture of, uh, towards conversion and so we, what we what we see digital PR as is a, a means to drive sales and leads
0: but do you have any client campaigns where backlinks are the primary success factor like the main KPI
1: yes we, we have so you, you tend to get clients of in different schools of thought really you get some clients that come to you and they just want links and that's fine we can deliver that yeah, we, we work with Serenasa Flowers, the world's third largest florist. And we've just done a campaign for also trader, won the uh, UK search award for best use of PR, um, which, you know, uh, the core KPI there was, was links, of course. So we've got clients like that. We've got clients that are just pure traditional PR. And we've got clients that I'd, I'd say the most enlightened of them. And also trader actually sits into this category, the ones that want to build brand they, they see the benefits of more classical pr in terms of building brand awareness and building reputation but they also want links and they've got strict link targets and that's um where we're kind of directing clients to as a direction especially when they come through just with a, a link target we kind of say well guys you know you really need to be looking at the broader reputational and brand benefits of of the coverage you're getting as, as well as
0: the links and what are the major differences in PR campaigns for B2B and B2C? And is PR Agency one more successful at one than the other?
1: We are 50-50, B2B and B2C. We've got a, a range of clients. I suppose the work is different, of course. You know, with B2B, businesses are targeting vertical sectors and they want to get their they want to get coverage in certain vertical sectors. So um, that is you know a more of an important consideration. Maybe the traditional side is slightly more the classical side is slightly more emphasized for those pieces. But at the end of the day, it's still about earning links. It's also, it's not just about the links, though. It's not just about the domain authority or, you know, whichever software tool you use to measure the authority. It's about the thematic relevance of those links. Um, and if you, you know, if you're targeting uh, the technology sector as a vertical, you need links in the technology sector. You know, B2B is quite a scientific approach and um, targeting those verticals with, you know, consumer digital PR. You can be really creative, come up with big stunts, creative campaigns, amazing on-site content, integrated pieces with advertising and all the rest of it. You know, you can focus on social trends and hijack the news agenda and do some really quite interesting, creative stuff. And yeah, it, there's also a science to that too. You know, the consumer brands need to be getting links in the right places. It's not just about just getting a metric ton of links. You know, we can analyze um, our clients' websites, compare them to competitors, and you can see gaps in the thematic relevance uh, of the links that are pointed to their sites and kind of go after certain niches harder that will drive the search visibility more quickly.
0: And the number of brands and businesses that are now going 100% online is rapidly increasing over the past few years. Should those new brands invest in digital PR and can they get value out of the offline exposure from traditional PR?
1: Every business needs to be uh, investing in their... their digital PR to help improve this, the the non branded search engine visibility of their website. Now, if they're a new business, you know it takes time to get that visibility. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but depending on the niche and depending on how competitive, you can see search engine visibility establish itself in non branded mm-hmm. keywords. You know, within six to twelve months. Um, sometimes it's longer. You know, if somebody came along and said, "I'm going to launch a price comparison website tomorrow." And you're competing against uh, the the big four established price comparison websites. I'm going to say that's going to be. A big expensive task, and have you got the you know have you got the budget to, to do that? Because that's going to take more links and more work, and might take longer than a year. So anybody starting out, it's about understanding your competitive landscape. You know, we always recommend for businesses that are starting out to really ramp up their their pay per click spend before they um, they start on digital PR, because the digital PR is going to drive some traffic via brand uh, first, but the non branded search visibility is going to come over time. So you know, really maximise your spend on, on pay-per-click in those sort of uh, early lean months. Um, and eventually the the digital PR will pay dividends with, with non-branded uh, search visibility for organic terms.
0: And has the tone of PR campaigns changed since COVID-19 at all? I feel like campaigns have become more sensitive and positive as consumers and buyers want to be cheered up and think about better times that are about to come along.
1: Well, yeah, they certainly have changed. So there's a couple of th- factors at play here. One is like the, just the themes that journalists want to write about. That's probably the the big one. During lockdown, right right back in March, the, the typical stories, the, the fun, frothy stories were, were probably not getting the cut-through that you'd like, and people were more interested in stories that would be relevancy, um, you know, homeworking or um, um, health and things like that, or staycations, for example. Yes, there were some journalists saying, send us content that's just frothy that will make our day, but actually... Um, If you look at it as a whole, um, everything had to be kind of thematically relevant, really. The the news agenda, the news agenda had changed. And then obviously, you know, a lot of journalists have been, some have been furloughed, um, some are working from home. So there were fewer opportunities within certain media segments. You know, national media is less likely to to give you a follow link these days, some lifestyle titles, the same. And also with journalists working from home, you know it's more difficult to phone them up and sell them a story. So you've really got to be able to give them stories that um, either they want to run or um, kind of communicate really well over email. Journalists are more difficult to get hold of.
0: Uh, a lot of digital marketing agencies offer digital PR these days. What do you think the difference is between them and a specialist PR agency?
1: I think, you know, a, a specialist PR agency understands what you should be saying. Uh, and I've seen some SEO, I mean, good on them for trying PR and, and some of them are good off the ground and doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of SEOs, though, pumping out giving PRs a bad name. Um, you know, you see a lot of journalists complaining about the type of content they've been given and the type of outreach. And it's not PR people who are doing it. It's kind of SEOs who are giving it a bit of a go. And, you know, my concern is actually for the digital... PR community is digital PR is one big Google update away from being completely irrelevant. So there's that side of it. And also, if we see media houses continuing to put um, no followers on all their editorial links, then, you know, you're going to have to work harder in different niches to find the links. So my take on it is I think PR people give journalists relevant content that they need. And don't get me wrong, PR agents is also put back relevant stories too. And like the best of us, we, we try things and they don't work. But we've got to make sure, as an industry, and I'm talking about traditional PRs and the new sort of digital PRs from the SEO background, that we're we're being responsible with our outreach. We don't want to do this on an industrial scale and break the system to the point where you know journalists no longer want to pick up the phone to speak to you, um, or no longer want to take your stories because they've you know they're, they're sick of the the mountain of spam in their inbox. I suppose to answer your question, I think traditional. PRs or like classical PRs or people who are doing digital PR from a classical basis are more likely to, to do things the right way, follow established protocols when speaking to journalists and also give them stories that are relevant. I think that's what, as an industry, we need to, to do. We need to upskill everybody in the digital PR communities to make sure that they're doing things the, the right way.
0: You're based in the British city of Manchester. Do most of your clients come from that area or do you have many London and international clients as well?
1: Well, we are, you know, we're very visible online as a, as a business. Right? Our search visibility is very broad. And that, you know, over the last 10 years, that means that we've had clients from all over the world. You know, we've got clients in Dublin, Malta, France, Mexico, America. And I'd probably say in the UK, the bulk of our clients are in the southeast, We've got a few a few locally too, but, you know, by and large, yeah, location isn't an issue. And that's only been expedited by COVID and, and work from home. No one really cares where you're from anymore with what you can do and what you can deliver.
0: Your Agency One has grown to a team of 26 people and a turnover of £1.6 million. What does your three-year growth plan look like?
1: Three-year growth plan. Well, before COVID, I would have told you that um, within five years, we want to get to 3 million turnover. We've grown a little bit this year, which has been great. But my objective really is to get to this financial year end. our financial year end is June and really take stock of where we are and think, you know, is that five-year plan re- realistic? We're lucky in, in digital PR because we're dealing with businesses that trade online more often. But still, you're seeing certain niches that are heavily impacted like travel, leisure. And that aren't operating at full pelt. I'd like to speak to you in you know, three to five years' time and say we're 3 million turnover and operating at that scale, um, but let's, let's take stock as to what actually happened post-COVID.
0: Thinking purely in financial terms as a business, is increasing profit or increasing revenue more important to you?
1: Ha! When I first started out, it was all about revenue, um, but now it's all about net profit, it's all about profitability. We really focused very much on our profitability over the last few years and we've, we've doubled our profitability which has been great so we've we've maybe grown by 10 15 percent but our, our net profits have increased by 50 by doing basic things right focusing on you know disbursements recharges and added value that we can provide to clients so i'd always say to any agency boss or founder or anyone starting out um, you know, when you first start out, grab as much work as you can. That's what I did. But at some point, you really want to focus on that, that net profit and grow that net profit because that's what that's why we why we're doing this. It's all about your take home revenue, about your surplus.
0: Is there a benefit to staying at your current size? Do you think versus growing into a large international agency, or do smaller agencies have a distinct advantage or disadvantage?
1: Look, it's all about what you want from life. Um, I want to grow to be as big as possible. I'd love to have you know offices across the UK and different parts of the world. We're looking at New York at the moment. Uh, we were pre-COVID, but that's me. Um, and my that my objective is to to grow our revenue and our net profit to a point where we're you know top top fifty PR agencies according to PR Week. But some people don't want to do that. They want to be. Uh, they, they it's a lifestyle business. They're running a lifestyle business. They're happily you know maximise their revenue, people start to reach like the top income tax bracket and they realise that, you know, dropping another, you know, £100,000 on top of their take-home earnings only brings them £50,000, you know, because you're paying so much tax and they think, well, what's the point? It, do I really want to break my balls and, and do that? And that's up to them. But um, for us, we want to be as big as possible and to take our offering out to the international PR community.
0: And um, we touched on this before, but do you think that SEO gives digital PR a bad name?
1: Yeah, um, I've
0: got a lot of mates in the SEO
1: community, so I feel like I can say this, and they know that I'm not talking about them. That I'm, talk- that I'm talking about the the uh, the poorer operators, the people who don't really know what they're doing. But let's face facts: SEO broke itself when it, with the, with the Penguin update. Which, The SEO community were pretty much buying links in industrial quantity, and Google came out after it, and it took it down. You know, SEOs are really good at figuring out how to do something simply and at scale, and my concern is with digital PR, people can get a little bit spammy with the stories they're putting out and and pester journalists with it to the point where journalists might just decide that they're not that interested in those type of stories anymore, and then on the other side of it, on the Google side, Google might say, look, all these Links about you know, some stupid story that's in some spurious title somewhere else, isn't the sort of thing that I want to base my index around. And uh, you know, Google really isn't its a reputation engine. That's what it's about. It's trying to figure out reputation at the moment. It needs links to do that because that's the way it works. But I think for, for the past couple of updates, these core updates, we've seen brands slowly but surely becoming more of a a player, only by like small marginal percentage points. But if each, if in each update brand becomes more and more prominent. They start to figure out how you know, maybe using AI or using other brand signals to measure brand as a, as a signal. Um, then, you know, it could be that Google figures out other ways to to rank websites uh, over time, and that could be the death knell of the, of the digital PR community. So our, we hang our hat as not being just a purely digital PR agency because, you know, we see the value being broader than that. You know, Google will always be a reputation engine and PR will always be a big driver of reputation. At the moment, one of the big factors of reputation according to Google is links, and that's why we're offering digital PR. But at some point, you know, reputation and brand will become more prominent, and we're in a great position to make sure that we can advise clients on how to to maximise those signals too.
0: What are your thoughts on things like Harrow, which is help a reporter out, and Muckrec, and all these online services which make it easier to connect to hundreds or thousands of journalists at one point? You know, should... Digital PR firms and PR firms have to earn the right to be able to talk to these journalists or do you think it's a good thing that anyone can now talk directly to a journalist at a major newspaper?
1: Anybody can speak to a journalist at a major newspaper. They're there to take stories and news from anybody. Say if you've experienced a really bad piece of medical negligence in a hospital, your uncle could phone up a a journalist and and sell that story into them. Um, It's their duty to investigate stories, you know, at, at that level. So it's not about a barrier. Do people deserve to have access to journalists? It's not. that. It's just that some services are better than others. People need to, if they, if they are doing media relations, which is what digital PR is, they need to make sure they're providing content to journalists that's relevant and speaking to them when they want it and providing them with the content in the way that they want it. And our journalists will always have a grumble about you know, phone calls or emails or should you say hi in an email or not, you to be familiar. They're always going to do that. They've always done that for the past 20 years. But we've just got to work around their sensitivities as best, as best we can. In terms of those tools, um, some of them are great, some of them are not so great not a massive fan of harrow i don't think it's that good we use response source i'm a big advocate of response source and the reason why it's better um yes it's a paid service but you pay for what you get you know response source has signed up journalists to it because it it weeds out the spammers on on the pr side it's only the sensible serious pr agencies that invest in in tools like that journalists respond to that they will only want you know content from people who are going to provide them with relevant content so we use response source we get you know hundreds of requests a day from journalists and, and fill them that way we create proactive content and pitch content to journalists that way and we're always on the phone you know, we have uh, a team of people who twice a day there are, there are slots in the day where all they're doing is just phoning up journalists and speaking to them and finding out what stories they would need and want and selling in stories and you know getting feedback that way as to as to what's relevant so it's not about people deserving to the journals it's just about doing it the right way um having the right tools and yeah not a massive fan of harrow but i'm a big fan of response source um it's well worth people having a look at that one if they're interested
0: and you mentioned before regional and national newspapers starting to no follow their links so there's not so much seo value uh, from those but at the same time they're also starting to sell stories so for a few thousand pounds or dollars You can get your story published on a separate section of their site and have clean links on it. Um, And they tend to tell SEO has been a big benefit of that. Maybe not on the sales pages, but certainly the sales people that call you up do. So do you think that Google and the other search engines can tell the difference between a paid news link, one of these articles, and a link that's been naturally earned uh, via a digital PR piece?
1: Yeah, so we've seen um, in the past newspapers sell links. Um, there was the advertorial update, wasn't there? That hit into yonks ago. And um, they were selling advertorials, but, put, but putting follow links in them. And you know they, that was soon found out, and pe- the Johnson Press was penalised, and then lots of companies were also penalised who were, who were benefiting from those links. There are some that are offering uh, follow links for paid placements. Some might be too small to really be on google's radar but i'm pretty certain that after a while algorithmically it's quite easy to find uh places that are always linking out and fees for that but really oh we we, we find that they are maybe one or two percent of of media titles are doing that it really is a small amount most are only offering links for for earned media um there's been a couple of american big notable american titles i don't want to mention their names i don't want to call from their lawyers that have done that and i think that they've Done that on such a scale that um because they use contributors that those websites have been um penalized uh, quietly behind uh, the closed doors and 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 those links haven't passed as much value and um, they may be not have been penalized in terms of their visibility or some of the metrics you can see but i'm pretty sure some of those links have have, have not passed as much value so i definitely wouldn't look at buying links i think you're gonna get found out you're gonna get penalized it's not the right thing to do. Um, it's low value anyway. It's not where we play our game. Avoid any publication that's selling links. They might, you know, and if some some of the publications that are selling links are probably, you know, if, they, if they're switched on, they're probably only going to sell you a no-follow link anyway. Well, I say they're going to give you a follow link and you sign up to it and it's, it's a no-follow. You end up having a lengthy conversation to get your money back. So avoid that kind of playing field is my advice.
0: For those unfamiliar with the PR agency, what changes are happening in the way that you work or the campaigns that you work on? And will there be any big industry shakeups coming in the future, do you think?
1: From a digital PR point of view, as more and more media sites put nofollow attributes onto their uh, onto their editorial, there's going to be a few and fewer places to earn links. Now, that means that the playing field is the same for everybody. Um, and it means that one link will be more valuable than they were, but it'd be harder to get. So, I, and I do think that might that trend might continue, which is why I think brand is gonna brand and classical PR is always going to be relevant. I think digital PR might boom. I think it is in the middle of a boom, but I think some of these PR agencies that are just digital PR only now might come a cropper of an update further down the line, which is why you know a broad offering that understands brand reputation and digital PR is really important. And you know, building brand and build building reputation. Is always going to be important, and I think that's going to be where a lot of agencies need to improve their game. You know, measurement has been the big trend um, of the last five years. I think a lot of PR agencies are starting to understand how to measure their PR campaigns and demonstrate ROI, not just from a SEO point of view, but from a reputation, from an audience planning point of view. That is going to continue, and you know, the bigger PR agencies are going to be. Hoovering up smaller agencies that have innovated that have a good measurement offering. It's hard for bigger agencies to innovate. So bigger agencies are just going to buy innovation, and um, so they're going to buy you know specialist measurement agencies, people who are skilled in AI and in um, analytics. And then then there's a barrier to entry into the PR industry itself because the larger agencies might have a bigger toolkit to offer their clients.
0: With PR agency one reaching the decade milestone. You must have had a few acquisition offers for the business over the years. Would you consider selling it in the next five years or is it a legacy business that you'll eventually retire from, become a chairman of and hand the reins to somebody else to manage maybe?
1: Yeah. So I, when I started out, there's a piece in the Manchester Evening News where I said 15 years, I want to you know sell the business and, and move on. Well, 10 years have come really quickly and I feel like I'm only just getting going. Um, so that you know that timescale might creep, but um, we've had offers. We've had three offers from large agencies to buy the business. But the way a business is valued, it's not worth it. Um, it's not worth selling right now for me because I've got you know I'm what forty two, so I've got another like, twenty five years or oh god however long of of work left. I've got a, I've got a big salary that I need to feed myself every year, so um, I'm not looking at selling it. Right now, um, unless somebody made me a silly money offer, uh, maybe once we get to three million turnover, it might be more of an interesting proposition to to look at a, a purchase in, in that way. But no, I'm probably looking at another 10 year stretch, at least before we look at look at sale. How we exit. I'm open to ideas. Um, One might be being bought by a larger PR agency. Another. I mean, there's a there's a business in Manchester that became employee owned, basically became a cooperative that was a really interesting way to exit as a, as a company. you know that was a, that was the owner's earn out there, or I might be able to become a chairman and bring in my own staff and run the business remotely, but it's still um quite a way away from from for me. I want to scale this business and see quite quite where I can take it.
0: When you say about the way the companies value another company for an acquisition, I'm guessing you're talking about sort of the multipliers usually based on profit um whereas in the old days in the in the good old days it was a multiplier of revenue which was a lot more attractive do you think there's more of an onus on agency owners to uh, really grow their own brands to add value to the company and to have that brand as part of the value that they then sell on rather than just growing the size of the accounts or campaigns they work on all
1: the conversations we've had so far is around multipliers but they the, the way to shift the multiplier is by developing your own proposition and, and technology. And we've built a suite of measurement products um, that are, that are t- two of which are software-based, um, one that tracks reputation, one that tracks brand, and another one that tracks commercial metrics, which you'd know is like SEO metrics and Google Analytics and that kind of thing. Once you start building something that's of use, the multiplier can increase uh, much more because it's no longer just a services business you've actually got some ip that's where my head's at at the moment in terms of getting that value and really building something that's a value that increases that multiplier yeah you could build the brand brand is an intangible part of that intangible assets piece that can help but still i think a lot of acquisitions they try and bring it back to that multiplier based on profit
0: if you could give a new agency founder one piece of advice what would it be
1: (laughs) monthly managed accounts build your cash at bank it's all for me now i've really got to grips with the finances behind running a company and i'd say the first five years i didn't have an understanding a true understanding of how that works so um yeah we were looking at staff to income ratios, a way of kind of managing our costs but everything was managed via an excel spreadsheet if that spreadsheet was wrong you were in deep (laughs) pardon my french and it, it one year it did go wrong and that was that was a hairy time for me and after that i really put a lot of time into understanding the finances on a monthly basis, moving to monthly managed accounts, paying my account on more money. But it meant that I knew my net profit from month to month. I got my forecasting cracks and I worked on um, really worked on understanding how a business works and, and, and cash at a bank, you know, making sure that we had at least three times our uh, our costs at cash at a bank. We really focused on building that up. So if you've got all that in place, you're not only financially secure for when a COVID occurs, something like that, but also it means you can be more profitable and you can really focus on driving parts of your
0: business um, to grow. Fantastic. James, thank you so much for joining me today on Agency Side. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Agency Side, sponsored by netfiller.com. Visit agencyside.fm to subscribe, read the show notes, and listen to previous recordings.
1: Tune in again soon for our next episode.